I'm Scott Paul, President of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, and this is the Manufacturing Report. And if China is rattling its sabers when it comes to Taiwan, if China is demolishing human rights in Hong Kong and vis-a-vis the Uyghurs, we should be taking a, not just a harder line, on paper we're taking a hard line, we should be taking a consistent line. The relationship that the United States has with China, and in particular the Chinese Communist Party, has never been more important. There are a lot of high-profile issues from Taiwan to climate to genocide of the Uyghurs to our economic relationship that occupy a lot of policy space in the United States. And believe me, it's complex. Bob Kuttner, who has written extensively about U.S. economic policy and industrial policy, recently authored a piece in the American Prospect titled, Does the U.S. Have a China Policy? And I've asked Bob onto the show to talk a bit about what he means. Bob Kuttner is the co-founder and co-editor of the American Prospect, and he's also a professor at Brandeis University. He'll join me next on the Manufacturing Report. Bob, welcome to the Manufacturing Report. Thank you. Glad to be with you as always. So you've written a lot of thought-provoking pieces over the years in The American Prospect, the most recent of which certainly caught my eye. Does the U.S. have a China policy? We actually have several, some at odds with others. So why don't you kind of break down for our listeners your observations about the direction or directions, I think, that that you're alluding to, that this administration is taking our policy with respect to China? Well, if you do a a tour of the horizon, as they say, everywhere you look in the administration, there's kind of a tug of war. So there's a tug of war about whether to keep the tariffs. And there's a lot of pressure on Biden to cut some of the tariffs selectively or cut some of the tariffs because uh, that would supposedly reduce inflation, which is nonsense. That's been completely debunked. But, but um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of industry is putting on pressure to cut, putting pressure on to cut the tariffs. And so far, USTR has been pretty good on that, although Treasury hasn't been so good. I mean, Treasury takes the view that, yeah, this is, this is inflationary. So we're holding the line on that for the moment, but the administration doesn't speak with one voice. There was a piece just today about Biden still has to decide what to do about the tariffs. So that's one ring of the circus. Another ring of the circus is specifically human rights violations with respect to the Uyghurs. And now you have the UN report. And for the most part, customs seems to be holding the line. They're actually seizing some shipments, but you still have the problem with with diversion, trans shipments, disguising Chinese exports as, as going through another country. So there, I think the question is enforcement. And then, of course, the mother of all of these issues, the place where industrial policy meets trade policy. And we have the CHIPS Act. We've got the beginning of a good industrial policy. But you've got all these supply chain issues. And China's lockdown policy is really self-defeating. It's self-defeating for China. It's self-defeating for the whole world. And it isn't just chips. And it's great that we've got a kind of a head start finally on semiconductors, but there are all these other inputs in the supply chain where we're much, much too reliant on China. So we need more of an industrial policy across the board. And, you know, finally we have Kerry 
and the illusion that we can somehow make a grand bargain with China around climate, even though China's own manufacturing strategy and economic strategy just gets dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. But that's kind of a offset to the more hawkish people in the administration. And I think most of this goes through Jake Sullivan, although I'm not sure Jake Sullivan is quite the China czar. And it just looks like a kind of a taffy pull where in each each of these little sub areas, there's just ongoing contention. What do you think? Bob, I think you summarized it well. And there are some agendas and fiefdoms and I guess tradition would be the the, the most euphemistic way to describe it uh, that are all interacting here. And sometimes it cross purposes. I think you're absolutely right about that. One thing that you shed a little light on that I don't think gets nearly enough attention is the administration of some of our financial disclosure and export control laws under the purviews of the Treasury and Commerce Departments. And I'm wondering if you could explain to our listeners what's been going on there. Well, here, and I want to credit the Wall Street Journal for for a really uh, very good uh, investigative piece on this. I mean, it turns out that something like half of 1% of the exports that are supposedly subject to licensing actually got licensed. And this goes through commerce. And it's, it's pretty well known that the Commerce Department is one of the more dovish agencies to the extent that private industry wants to do business with China, wants to make money doing with business, business with China. It favors so-called very light touch regulation. So according to the journal's uh, piece, of a total of $125 billion in exports to China in 2020, officials at the Commerce Department required a license for less than half of 1%. And then they approved 94% of that for technology exports to China. So this is kind of at odds with the harder line that some of the rest of the government is taking, that Congress certainly wants the government to take. And then you've got this oddity, the U.S. Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, which is a private entity to which Congress and the Securities and Exchange Commission have delegated a lot of authority. And again, they're another one of these light-touch regulation quasi-public agencies, and they just signed an agreement for cooperation on inspecting the audit work of U.S. companies, uh, Chinese companies that are listed on U.S. stock exchanges. And again, under the law, if Chinese companies that are listed on U.S. exchanges don't provide the same kind of financial disclosures that American companies do, they can be delisted. And this is a, a kind of a sweetheart deal to just soft pedal the enforcement. And Goldman put out a kind of a release saying, hey, this is great. This is a regulatory breakthrough. We don't have to worry about Chinese companies being delisted. And so the bottom line here is U.S. government policy is all over the place. And, you know, if I can do a kind of a quick summary of this, you would certainly think that Jake Sullivan could do a summary and look at these seven or eight different areas and go to the president and say, we need more consistency. And and if China is rattling its sabers when it comes to Taiwan, if China is demolishing human rights in Hong Kong and vis-a-vis the Uyghurs, we should be taking a, not just a harder line. On paper, we're taking a hard line. We should be taking a consistent line. And I think that's that's the point of the column, that the national security people, the Pentagon, the president, 
need to look at the whole canvas of different areas of China policy and bring greater consistency to it. That makes perfect sense. And in particular sense, and I think you articulated this very, very well, Bob, that China policy touches a lot of our domestic concerns as well, whether it's climate or supply chain, resiliency and security, and our ability to generate uh, good middle-class jobs in this massive transition that we have underway. And it seems that there are some people rowing in the right direction, but at the same time, there's there's some folks who just have their oars in the water that are sticking to a mindset that was more prevalent uh, 10 or 20 years ago. I wanted to ask you, because I know that you have been writing about industrial policy for a number of decades and, and talking about the virtues of industrial policy. And I'm wondering how we manage our relationship with China is, is certainly one bucket of that. But broadly speaking, and certainly given kind of the plays we've seen on infrastructure and renewable energy manufacturing investment and some trade enforcement and some other matters as well, do you think that within the highest levels of the White House and the administration that this idea that used to be even taboo to talk about, right, in in the Democratic Party is gaining a, a bit of standing now? Yes, very much so. And I think we've won the argument at the level of doctrine, and now we need to win it at the level of policy as implemented. The administration, partly because of the supply chain crisis, has really seized the moment and argued that we need to bring a lot of this production home, both for good jobs and for economic and defense security, and for the sake of not being reliant on foreign countries, particularly China, for supply chain. So if you know, if you look at the reports the White House has put out, the supply chain task force, they are just superb. But again, the devil is in the details, the devil is in the implementation. And it's it's the old story of inertia. Different agencies of government are still doing it the way they always did it. And Treasury still thinks that uh, you know free trade is great and anything that smacks of protectionism is bad. And you've also had a real transformation at USTR, which used to be part of the problem. But since uh, Lighthizer was appointed under under Trump, and, and, and nobody should hold Trump responsible for Lighthizer. I mean, Lighthizer is one of the great Americans, and he we just happened to get lucky that somebody suggested to Trump that he appoint Lighthizer. And so, you know, if you or I were president, we probably would have appointed Lighthizer. I agree. Yeah. And so, thank God, that's continued under Biden. We got lucky again with Catherine Tai. So some of it is really moving in the right direction. We've won the argument at the level of doctrine. Industrial policy is not sinful. Paying attention to the supply chain is not sinful. But the whole ballgame is, is implementing this. And that's tougher. But that's what leadership is about. That's what governing is about. And you know, it's it's a product of top-level conversations between Jake Sullivan and the economic team and the president personally. And this is one of those things where really the president personally has to weigh in. I mean, we saw that happen with student debt relief, where this dragged on for months and months and months. And finally, Biden, hearing all the arguments, made the call. And you need something similar with respect to all of these China questions that are being decided by inertia 
two or three levels down, they really need to be decided, be decided by the president personally so that we have coherent national policy. And while the CHIPS Act is great, you know, it's one industry. And we need to expand that uh, beyond just semiconductors. You took the words right out of my mouth that if that's the last uh, action rather than the, the, the first step uh, on policy, that we've, we've left 98% of our economy behind okay. there. And it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's steel and it's solar and it's all the areas where, on the one hand, we've sort of let this stuff go out of a misguided sense of what is free trade. We've also been victims of predatory policies by other countries, not just China, the sort of the dumping of steel, the glut of steel that's ubiquitous and uh, China stealing solar. So now you're in a kind of catch-22 where the users of solar are lobbying the administration to let this stuff in because for the moment it's cheaper. But if you take a long-run view, even five or 10-year view, if we can regain this production, we invented this, get it back, and then over time um, it'll be cheaper and we'll also have more economic security. We'll also have all the jobs that come not just with installing it, but with manufacturing it and, and, and being at the cutting edge on technology. So it's it's really the whole range of American industry where we used to dominate and where, where we could get it back if we just had the, 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 the right kind of policy and the coherence of different areas of policy. That rings true to me. And Bob, one final question before I let you go. You know, we've obviously talked about kind of the external threat of the policies of the Chinese Communist Party and then our responses to them, some of which are adequate, some of which have a ways to go. But I'm also wondering from a political perspective, what some of the, in your mind, what some of the biggest threats to the progress on industrial policy are, particularly, I guess, within the Democratic Party, because, you know, there was a time when even as recent as the Obama administration, where you couldn't or they couldn't talk about industrial policy, they didn't, they didn't want to acknowledge it. Do you think that that is in the past and we've pivoted here or is there still a threat and whether it comes from global companies or neoliberal ideology that we're going to take a step back before we can move forward again? Well, I think the center of gravity has shifted. I, I, I think more of the Democratic Party and this administration, happily for the first time, is in favor of uh, more planning, more industrial policy. But the undertow of Wall Street is so powerful. I don't use the word centrist Democrats or moderate Democrats. I use the word Wall Street Democrats or corporate Democrats. And, and that's who these people are. And Wall Street and corporate America, with a few exceptions of patriotic companies, like globalization on their terms so that they can migrate to places where Wall Street gets cut in on the action and labor is cheap, labor has no rights, and environmental standards are lower, consumer standards are lower, and they make a ton of money. And, you know, there there are Wall Street Democrats with a lot of influence. And when you have a working majority in the Senate of zero, plus the vice president, and a working majority in the House of maybe six on a good day, um, then even a small handful of corporate Democrats have a lot of influence. And then when you have the Commerce Department, just by instinct and by tradition, being more inclined to take the side of industry, it's really tough. And of course, when I say take the side of industry, that gets very tricky too, because 
There are industrialists who are patriots who, who want to produce in the United States if we have some kind of a level playing field. Yeah. But there are other industrialists who have no loyalty whatsoever to the United States. And I mean, they take the tax benefits, they take the subsidies, they take the cachet of being an American company, but uh, they want to produce wherever it's cheaper. And so the idea that a company based in the United States necessarily has the American interest at heart, that's a proposition that has to be explored case by case, which makes it tricky. Bob Reich, about 30 years ago, wrote a piece called Who is Us? Is us an American-based company or is us American workers? And the answer is us as American, American workers. Sure. So it's, it's, it's complicated and it's tricky, but I think we're moving in the right direction. There was a very nice proposal that was floated at the most recent hearing of the U.S.-China Commission that my friend Jim Mann was chairing on the idea that there should be a, an annual or a semi-annual supply chain report where every major company has to report to the government just what its dependence on foreign supply chains, particularly China supply chains, are. And then that becomes a, a very useful tool in planning. So I just think there, there are so many pieces of this. And you hope that somebody in the government is, I mean, we just did this in 15 minutes and, and I did it. I did a quick and dirty version of this in a 600 word column. So you would think with all the resources that the US government has, somebody could look at the whole horizon and take stock of what you need to do in each area so that we have a consistent policy that serves the American interest. Here, here, Bob Kuttner, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. Well, Scott, th 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 thanks for doing what you're doing. Keep the faith. And that will do it for the Manufacturing Report this time. To read Bob Kuttner's piece, you can go to prospect.org. To learn more about U.S.-China policy and other policy concerns for U.S. workers, you can access our website at americanmanufacturing.org. As always, I'd like to thank the great team at AAM and Kat Adams in particular for their work to make this episode possible. And I'd also like to thank you, the listeners for engaging with us and for giving us some great episode ideas. Please keep them coming. And while you're at it, leave a review and a rating wherever you find this podcast. You can find us online at AmericanManufacturing.org. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram, and you can tweet us at Keep It Made in USA. I'm Scott Paul, and until next time, together we can keep it made in America.